Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The Digital Bank Report has just completed research on the impact of the pandemic on digital lending and account opening. We found that changes in almost every area of providing credit and opening new checking accounts were more dramatic than in any of the previous five years. This is primarily because consumer adoption of digital alternatives advanced years in a matter of weeks. We found major changes in the number of organizations offering digital alternatives to coming into the branch, but also found that these experiences were far from optimal. Most processes were exceedingly slow, replicating legacy processes on digital devices. To discuss the findings of our digital lending and account opening report, we are joined today by Chris Maloof, Chief Product Officer of MeridianLink, the sponsor of the report. In this episode, we discuss this year's findings and the ramifications for financial institutions in the future. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, first of all, I want to personally thank you for again sponsoring the digital lending and account opening report in conjunction with Meridian Link. This is not the first time your company has sponsored the report, and it definitely represents probably the most important research on digital lending and new account opening we've ever done because we've seen so much transformation from where we were to where we are. And it also highlights some of the real challenges we have in the industry where in many cases we have organizations that have simply checked the box that says, oh, we can now open a new account using a mobile app or, or we can now do a loan on an online or mobile. And the challenge is that the ability to do it and the ability to do it well, there's a gap. Starting first of all with your organization at Meridian Link, I'm wondering what has been some of the most dramatic changes that you've seen in your business as a result of COVID-19. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this event. Uh, I really enjoy reading the reports and the learnings that you find. And a big part of our go forward product strategy is about learning from our customers and learning from industry experts like yourself so we can position our products in the, the best way. So from a learnings perspective, you talked a little bit about the change and your shutdown of research uh, early this year during COVID because things were changing so quickly. So taking a step back, over the last five years, the shift from in-branch to digital has been happening in a consumer perspective around 4% per year. At least that's the data I've seen out there. And there's a projection that that will increase to 5% per year after that for the next five years. Now, what makes that interesting to me is consumer behavior traditionally doesn't change that fast. That is really a fundamental shift in how Americans are looking to engage with financial institutions. And getting a little more specific, you know, talking about Meridian Link, our customers, credit unions and community banks were near 40% on um, digital lending and account opening at the beginning of the pandemic. And then if you were to look at just the last few months, it's near 50%. So you're talking at almost a 9% jump. Now, some of that will come back, right? But what's been clear is this shift was already happening and now it's happening faster. And I think it's really created the light bulb in a lot of people's eyes that this is not something you can do at your own pace. It's something you have to do, and it's a matter of survival. What was interesting is the research we did, we found that when we asked the question, ways consumers can apply for a consumer loan, 
the branch level actually retreated a little bit, which was interesting, but I think that's probably because they may have taken it a little bit too literally and said, well, right now we can't do it in the branch, so I, I'll, I'll fly with that. But what was interesting is the website and the online capability and the mobile app capability both jumped by about 10% each, which is significant when you started a base with mobile at 34 and online at 76. What was interesting, it shows the capabilities expand. We also saw that the bigger financial institutions are moving away from the web and online and moving more toward the mobile. So they're not putting in so much effort. They're not even offering in some cases, they're offering just the mobile. Is this what you've seen overall is that the fact that they're not doing that many online or mobile, but they're building the application capability, correct? One big thing as well is that the larger institutions are about five, 10 years ahead in terms of how much they've been investing in internal IT. You also brought up the fact that they're pushing towards mobile from an investment perspective. What I've seen is the first big push towards mobile was in home banking around six, seven years ago. And what they've seen from an adoption rate is that while many people view their accounts from a home banking perspective, very few are doing actual transaction type work within their home banking app relative to their desktop app. So while that may shift over time and they're betting on that shift, the data hasn't supported that within their primary platforms. Now, lending, I would say, is a step further behind what you'd see from a bill pay or home banking perspective. And it'll be interesting to see how consumers engage with those new apps. And I think that the most effective way to engage in that channel is through building a modern application or leveraging a modern application that works seamlessly both at a desktop and a mobile. Right. There's a lot of ways from a, a modern software production perspective uh, to be effective there. You know, it's interesting because obviously COVID has had a tremendous impact on organizations at least putting the capability on the board because for two months, branches were shut down. So obviously these companies were very much screened and certainly during the uh, PPP loan period of small business, screened very quickly, sometimes in a matter of days to get something up and running. What we saw, the first hurdle that financial institutions had in previous surveys we did was, do you allow end-to-end on-loan or mobile application capability? So we would ask, oh, do you have digital application capability? And they'd say yes. And then we'd later ask, oh, by the way, can you go to end-to-end? And they go, oh, no. And then you said, well, geez, that's not digital then. You know, we maybe asked the wrong question or the wrong way. But what we found this year is that when we asked online for the currently can jump from 52% to 66% for online loan applications. For mobile, it jumped from 31 to 46%. So this is this is huge from the capability to say, I'm not making you get off the platform for something else. So again, it, it's not saying that's where all the applications are going, but what it says is they now have functionally made it so a consumer does not have to get off the platform to be able to do it. In addition, that means they don't have to go to the branch, which makes it so that they answer the question around safety. What is also interesting is that for those organizations that aren't doing it, and again, for online, it was 66% up from 52. For mobile, it was 46% up from 31. One thing we figured out was that that ability to do it end-to-end takes some partnership because to do it end-to-end, 
you've got to work with partners to do everything from the e-signature to the documentation issues. What was the biggest jump from a functionality basis that Meridian Link saw that said, this was holding people back. This is what they bought really quick. So they got up to speed. What functionality was it? We talked a little bit about digital in terms of survivability in today's world. And I think you're getting to the point that fast is the way you win and consumers expect fast and fully digital is fast, right? Now, when I talk to customers, the biggest hurdle I generally see is cultural. Cultural and, and internal policies, right? Because it's a major shift between trusting an automated underwriting decision to go right through and post immediately to the core, as opposed to having a loan officer talk to a potential client, as well as take a visual look and apply their those same underwriting procedures to that portfolio. I think where even the large banks perform this and the path forward is by segmenting out different risk profiles. And some of those risk profiles will be automatically underwritten and some will not, and they'll need more information. But going to your point, what did most people need? They needed sign off internally to do it. And they often needed just to turn on the e-signature process because the rest is already digital. I mean, it's already coming in through a consumer portal and being fielded to a loan officer, right? If you turn all some of those aspects on to go, uh, well, then they'll send the document out for signature and post to the core. You know, it's, it's very interesting. You mentioned culture. My production team's on the horn. They know that we've done a lot of interviews. And when we talk about digital transformation, which is what digital loan application, digital new account open is, the overriding theme about reasons or challenges for not moving forward has been culture and leadership. I used to sell for a living and used to sell two banks. And we'd go and say, yeah, they're ready to buy. They're going to buy this functionality. And the person we're talking to is not lying to us. They think we're going to buy. We think they're going to buy. And I keep on coming back. And my boss came up with a phrase, you know, geez, there's a big difference between tip of the iceberg and tip of the ice cube. And his comment was, have you talked to everybody who's going to be involved in this process to see if you're going to make the sale? And the reality is, now more than ever, going digital is a cultural and a leadership issue because it's not easy. As you said, it takes into account the approval process, how much you're going to depend on outside companies to provide you functionality. And even more importantly is, can you get away from a, simply a check mark to really be in digital? And that gets me to my next point that in the research, as we dig down, we start off with, can you do it? And then we say, can you really do it end to end? And then we ask the amount of time required. And this is where we catch everybody. And we don't mean to catch people. But for an online process, 38% of institutions said it takes more than 10 minutes to get a web or an online application. And only 15% can it say under five minutes. Now, those numbers are a little bit better than last year. On the other hand, when we talk about the mobile app, as you can imagine, the numbers are actually better from a timing perspective. So people that have built the mobile app have actually seen improvements in time. However, 34% of the organization said it takes more than 10 minutes and another 46% says it takes five to 10 minutes. Now in a mobile app, as anybody on the horn knows, that's a lifetime in a mobile world. And what's even more interesting is we actually saw a decrease 
in speed from mobile. Now, a couple reasons for that. One would be that people turned it on as opposed to turn it on efficiently. When you're working with financial institutions, what are the things that organizations do that you try to tell them not to, but that really kills the speed part of it? What are some of the things that you see that organizations fight back, push back, because they're so braced in embracing the legacy functionality that they just can't get over it? I think it's spot on is that it comes from a process perspective that we're defining as culture. I mean, there's a lot of individuals in different silos within an FI that make these decisions that together define how effective the digital experience is. And it's all about risk, right? Financial institutions and leadership within financial institutions, a primary part of their business is risk to the portfolio. So after hearing them and, and their challenges around automated underwriting and moving through the process, my takeaway is that my company or a partner company needs to provide better visibility into how they're performing against these underwriting actions in real time. It is a big leap. And I think it's a long step for me to expect them, all of them, to take that jump without clear visibility and providing a new steering wheel for them to have their hands on. And I view that from a visual data perspective. So they can see every day, real time, whenever they want, they can see a dashboard of how they're performing from a funnel perspective. Now you've also brought up the perspective of, hey, different times to close a loan between desktop and mobile. So as a general sense, mobile products were generally built more recently. That's one. In modern UX design or user interface design, is mobile first. And part of the rationale for that is if you can fit all the features into the mobile product, it'll make your desktop product better. So that's huge. And the biggest barrier I think institutions face on that process is they want to add too many incremental fields to then analyze later. The more fields you add, the more steps, the more pages, the higher your abandonment rate on the app. And this is something we actually have a lot of back and forth with clients. We try to put a lot of analytics and we watch a lot of clients interact with our app process and try to create a streamlined template that has the optimal downhill flow to close a loan. There's always the other side being like, well, we want to put our own touch on this, which makes sense. Everyone has their own business strategy. The ask I always have is, because we're both in the growth business, both Meridian Lake and our customers, is make sure we're watching and testing that with data to make sure we're making the right decisions for your specific customer base so they're going as fast as they can through that funnel. What's interesting is that organizations don't understand that you can break this into parts. So Rocket Mortgage only asks for your name, your social security number, your address, and who your current mortgage is with. That's it. That's all they need. Now, the reason why they ask for your email address, your name, and your cell phone number is they're going to interact with you. And that interaction allows them to get more information and fill in some of the other blanks. But it makes it so that I'm hooked. When I've given them that, and in American Express, on the platinum card, they only ask for the social security number and your name. That's it. And then they come back to you and go, can you validate all the information we have? And you go, yes, 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 yes. It's kind of like a pre-fill mentality, but it's breaking apart the processes. And you spoke to it. It's the difference between want to know and need to know. And while it can get really fun, the reality is you're losing customers. So Chris, households, when they have abandonment rates, how do you suggest 
that they try to get back and get those before they're really gone? It all depends on where in the flow they drop off. And what is your ROI per customer and cost to acquire a customer? Right? Because you brought up a great point. The reason why American Express is able to just accept those specific pieces of information is that they're then integrating with third parties and spending money to get other information on them. If that other information costs less than your cost to acquire or your value to acquire, then you should then go market against those people who have touched your platform. In simpler terms, I would say capture the most important information first and make it as seamless as possible, and then market the most relevant products you can based on that data to those customers via text and email. If you can get the email address and the cell phone, you can re-engage, but you've got to be looking for that all the time because the worse your process is, you know, organizations many times don't know how many people have walked in the door, then walked out. They're not physical. But the good news is, unlike the physical situation, on the digital app, you can find out exactly who they are at the first step. So you have the ability to go back. When we look at the steps required in the online process, for those who don't have end-to-end, the things that in most cases these organizations need are three major ones, signatures, ID verification, and overall documentation. These are all available through multiple third parties. It's a legacy thinking that makes it so that they've not turned on that capability. Because it's not that any of the steps aren't out there. I'm finding that clients are having a general comfort with the three bureaus, ID verification, their OFAC, and their other core traditional in-branch third-party services and leveraging them online. The challenge that I'm seeing, especially in the high-volume lender's perspective, even, even more so on credit cards, is fraud. There's many different types of fraud. So the analysis, and this is what I mean from a data perspective and keeping your hands on the steering wheel is in this new environment, there's going to be new challenges and new individuals, both that you can serve as a customer, but also individuals that are going to try to find weaknesses in the process. Today on account opening, you traditionally leverage a number of fraud check services. We're now providing that same service over loans and starting to see some take rate on it as FIs look to protect themselves during a changing time. And it goes back to my earlier comment, what needs to change or what added visibility or tools can we provide to give the comfort to take the next jump? When we looked at the next stage, which is, you know, being able to start and stop and resume, that's always been like the the holy grail. It's a tough one. It's not only tough if you go back to the same app or the same platform, but it gets real tough if you're asking to go to a different platform. So it's one thing to go from online to online or online to branch or mobile to mobile or mobile to branch, but go from mobile to online or online to mobile. It means that you're storing this information. What is the biggest hurdle that you see with organizations having that challenge? Saving applications in flow has been a major customer request of ours and something we're delivering right now um, because it's so important. I think the expectations of financial institutions needs to be exceptionally high of the security around their third-party vendors. Even outside of saving the app, just to process alone requires significant PII information. I don't necessarily see a security gap between the two. I think they are pretty aligned. A breach on one side is a breach on the other. It's also good utilization of cloud services. 
because it's data. It's a lot of data to store that in a holding zone. You know, banks aren't used to storing stuff in a holding zone and feeling very comfortable about it. They'd rather lose it than keep it. One thing's interesting is that we asked the question, what percentage of your loans get started in an online world and what percentage of your loans get started in a mobile world? We still find those numbers to be lacking. And we believe a lot of this had to do with before, just that financial institutions didn't have the capability. The challenge is you can't start someplace if you're not giving them a way to do it. But we also saw in many cases that save and resume factor becomes an interesting dynamic when you're looking at where organizations believe loans get started. I'm wondering if you're seeing what we used to see, which was that a lot of times organizations don't really know where the process started because very much like in retail, when the digital part of the business is fighting with the store part of the business, that if you come into a brand and you say, geez, I started the process on my digital or my mobile app, I'd like to finish it up here. You're kind of fighting yourself because your, your branch employees are paid commission on how many loans start there. Number one, do you still see this as a challenge? Number two, how do organizations solve for that, the mis miscategorization? I think this is a challenge for any organization. You're trying to define your customer's buyer journey, and buyer journeys are complex. Right? They start all the way back in the education phase. They, they have some demand. In this case, say they want a auto loan. right? So they're going to start likely looking for the type of car they want what they can afford, and then they're going to start to think about how they can afford it. And how do they look to find that information? Is it from friends? Is it from general online sources? Is it from loan aggregators? Is it from your local credit union, your local commercial bank? Are you going on websites, shopping, logging to a few different apps, and then going to close a branch? It's going to be different by your specific demographic that you're serving. And the best way I've found to solve it is through engaging with and sampling your consumers and interviewing them. You can track it digitally and it's expensive. So you'll see a lot of that behavior in really high volume credit card lenders and really high volume retail, just general retail. But the most cost-effective way is to talk to your customers in a, a, a survey-oriented manner like Jim does for the overall process and figure out what's their buying process so you can better understand where to engage them in that buying process to help earn their business. It's interesting. When we looked at the digital application capabilities, we asked what types of credit can be initiated by mobile or online? We saw, not surprisingly, a huge jump this year. Obviously, credit cards, the first time we monitored that, and, and those numbers are like 75% have the capability to take an online app and 61% are able to do a mobile app for a credit card. That's not a surprise. But virtually every type of loan increased. However, they run from you know, 75% for a credit card down to 15% for a small business loan or 33% for a student loan. I believe that now more than ever, the ability to have a universal app really plays a big role in being able to say, we might steer you in a different direction, or it's just going to functionally save time and money internally for the organization to have one set rule of processes, you, you know, kind of like what you said about mobile versus online, people are putting money toward mobile because if you fix that, you fix the other. What are your feelings about universal app? So that is near and dear to my heart. 
And that is a core focus of Meridian Link is when I think about helping our institutions compete for consumers, you've been talking about digital convenience, which is speed. But then the other aspect in the way that you compete with uh, single loan fintechs or finance companies out there is the comprehensiveness that you can provide. You can provide your consumers a more holistic experience. So when I think single app, I think a consumer comes in with a loan or an interest in mind, you don't get in the way of that. You need to help them fulfill that need that they came here for. But by leveraging all the third-party data and an understanding and an ability to underwrite across all loan types, you can provide them back an optimized offer. So for instance, let's say this consumers, they're buying their first home and their debt to income is 46. So they're on that boundary of they might not be able to be serviced for a loan. If we're able to, at the same time, understanding their overall portfolio based on the data that's provided by the bureaus, we can offer them to refinance two auto loans. We can bring their debt to income down to, say, 42, and then they can successfully buy their home and or provide them a better rate than anyone else could provide them because we have better data and thus can provide a better risk-adjusted offer than anyone else. We're in the midst of COVID still. We've seen a lot of change. As you're looking forward, what do you see in the next 12 to 15 months being the biggest changes we're going to see in the overall credit marketplace? Not just loan application process, but overall, if you were to name three major key things you're going to see happening, what are they going to be? Forbearance is going to come off. I think it's like 7% of mortgages out there are under forbearance. Um, That's tremendous. It's interesting in that in this economy, they're equity rich. People go that potentially into default. So I think the consumer will end up in a great place. A lot more homes will come to market from that. And, and the reason why I bring up that is due to the CARES Act is forbearance has held back changes in credit from people's inability to pay. And the people leveraging the CARES Act or the number of people leveraging the CARES Act for protection is rather high. As that rolls off, you're going to see a drop. I believe a material percentage of Americans' credit scores is debt comes back onto their credit report, thus pushing debt to income up. The second is you're going to see, due to this, you're going to see an uptick in collections. Having an eye on collections in this market is really important, being prepared for that. Because if the CARES Act comes off, there isn't more stimulus, there's going to be a significant increase in defaults which can be showcased in the reserves that the big banks are presenting on Wall Street. They're all putting up big dollars to absorb losses associated with collections. Could some of that be over-exaggerated only because I know there's a a fairly good-sized market for forbearance simply because people are trying to build up their savings. So we've had a higher level of savings rate than we've had ever in the history of the country because of the fact that a lot of people have delayed their mortgage payments so they could put money into a nest egg to give them that protection. That it's not like you couldn't make the payment, but seeing that they didn't have to, it was probably a better financial decision to build up a nest egg. What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I'm not looking to make a dire prediction. I also wouldn't make, you know, hey, it's going to be gangbusters forever. It really depends on which specific vertical you're going to be in with the same understanding that the beauty of consumer loans in America is as one goes up, another one goes down and vice versa. During a downtime, people need more personal loans and credit cards, right? During an uptime, people buy more auto loans. COVID has been kind of the opposite, which is interesting. And 
I find the best predictor of how things are going to go, if you want to have a clear insight, is listen to the various uh, Federal Reserve presidents. You know, if you listen to the Robert Kaplan of the, the Dallas Fed, they're projecting that they're not going to raise interest rates potentially for a few years, and they're going to be more flexible on inflation. They'll give the economy a lot of runway. But he also counterbalances it with the fact that unemployment is still fairly high. There's certain types of loans you can't get in an unemployed environment. So I think it's a more balanced approach than maybe the stock market would otherwise showcase. Given the efficiency of digital lending, if you do it right, given the speed of digital lending and the ability to apply ongoing credit rating and credit scoring on a mobile basis, do you see traditional financial institutions starting to play a little bit more in the point of sale, small dollar amount lending environment? Or do you see that traditional financial institutions just aren't going to get their arms around the risk issues and even the revenue issues on a 250 to $500 loan? Microloans are hot business. If you look at the investment on the software space, there's just money being piled in. I think they want access to the individual consumer and they would be willing to invest significantly to get it. The best example is Goldman is now partnering with a software vendor to provide services to Amazon. That's a big win from Goldman Sachs and also couples with their recent investment to compete in savings accounts with Marcus. I think you're going to see other big banks follow suit. And then that also provides the same opportunity to community banks and credit unions. You know, I have a number of customers that are doing merchant lending at scale for rather large retailers within their communities. This is what consumers want. If you go on even smaller retail vendor shops, or if you even want to go buy a mattress, 0% financing is not unusual. And it's not expensive based on those loan types, as well as the general interest rate environment. If someone were to buy a $2,000 tractor, for instance, the 2% per year on that, it's not a lot of money. It's $8. So you can provide a really great service to a customer while also gaining that relationship. And then you can build on it later by providing a more holistic experience. So I see it as an opportunity. Big banks are going to go after, but there's no reason why mid-sized institutions can't also be successful because some already are. Chris, again, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. But more importantly, I'm going to thank Meridian Link for being the sponsor of this year's and last year's and the year before and the year before that digital lending and account opening report. The research in there, I think, is key because if an organization is trying to move forward a plan, this gives them the ammunition to go in front of their board, their finance people, their marketers, whatever it may be, and make a case for, we got to do this better. But again, uh, I thank you for all you guys do, but also for obviously for sponsoring the report this year. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I, I greatly value the research you guys put together. It's really insightful and it's a fantastic lens. What a great interview with Chris Maloof from Meridian Link. I think what's interesting is, as much as we're going through so much change, the digital lending and digital new account marketplace is really, really aggressively changing out of necessity, but also because there's a demand. We have probably in the lending and new account opening area as much competition from fintechs as we do in any part of the banking business. And you know, he reinforces the point two things. Number one, it takes culture and leadership to move the process forward. And number two, don't stop at simply being able to provide mobile and online application capabilities. That's just the starting point. You got to make sure it's fast, it's easy, and it's transportable across channels. 
Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. Rate is a top five banking podcast on Apple. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transform on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we're doing and provides a springboard for bringing more world-class guests to the show. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience, the future work, and the future of digital banking. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and our audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, make every day a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.